Thank you, Mario. Psalm 13, if you would turn there. Thank you. I like those songs. Beautiful. We've called this um, Pondering the Psalms. And so last week I wasn't here, but I know that Nate did Psalm 2, and what a great psalm that is, Psalm 2, Pondering the Psalms. Um, what are you pondering right now in the Word of God? Just tell me, where are you reading in the Word of God? Where? Ephesians. Ephesians. Who, who? Galatians. Galatians. Matthew, James, I heard what? Acts. Where? Acts. Acts. Yeah. Revelation. Revelation. Good. 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 I remember one time I was um, working uh, with a, a friend of mine, contractor, Brian Burke, and it was a great job, construction job, because I was working with a friend, and Brian is. Uh, he was just always so mellow, very loving. When I was a carpenter, you didn't experience that on construction sites. I mean, it was it was not a friendly environment. But uh, with Brian, it was it was just so wonderful. We were building his house, and and um, I remember his father-in-law um, was helping with the construction, and his father-in-law, older guy, but he was a workhorse. And uh, I remember we were, we were sheeting the roof of the house and Brian's father-in-law, I don't remember his name, but he said, he said, Danny, what are you reading right now in the, in the Word? And I said, oh, well, I'm, our, our uh, home Bible study, we're going through 1 John and uh, with the high schoolers, I'm taking them through. And he goes, oh, no, no. I didn't ask you what you were teaching. I asked you what you were reading. And, you know, that really spoke to me because um, it kind of shook me out of this. Sometimes we would just read what we're going to, you know, well, I'm doing the women's study, so this is the text, so this is the text that I'm reading. There's nothing wrong with that. But there should be this, this consistent going through the Word of God, pondering the Scriptures, you know. Uh, you mentioned Galatians. Uh, we're going to go into Galatians, Lord willing, after we go through John. No, we might not be here before we finish John because I'm moving very slowly and and I'm enjoying it. But um, but Galatians, what a powerful, powerful epistle that is, you know. I mean, but every every book of the Bible, there are things that we can glean, things that we can apply to our lives, and we must, we must, we must open the Word. And I want you just to think about it. You're at home. You might be saying, I want to go home. You're at home. Maybe you have a comfortable couch or you have a favorite chair in your house. This time of year, maybe it's a, it's a comfortable chair out in the backyard or someplace. And, and you go out there and you sit down. You have a cup of coffee or tea, whatever whatever you like to drink, you sit down, you open your Bible, and you begin to read. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You read it and you ponder it. Is that what you guys do? I mean, how do you read the word of God? How do you study the word of God? You know, I think that we have to find what works best for us. But I know this, that when we approach the word of God, we're not approaching just any book. We're approaching scripture. It's God-breathed, God-inspired, you know, word of God. And so when we approach it, we need to take time. We need to pray, and we do now. Father, we pray that as we look at this psalm, we ask, Father, that you would give us understanding. We pray, Father, that we might see things that perhaps we're just missing by reading through it, Lord. We pray, Father, that our minds uh, would just slow down and, and take time and ponder these things and consider uh, what might have been going on. We don't know for sure what was going on, but what might have been going on, that we might relate it to our own lives, Lord. Uh, Lord, that we might remember uh, times that we felt the way David felt when he wrote this psalm. So help us, Lord, to ponder your word tonight. We ask that you would teach us by your spirit, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, guys, we know it's a psalm of David because we're told that it's a psalm of David. And uh, sometimes, you know, I think as uh, young Christians, we make the assumption that David wrote all the psalms. Of course, he didn't write all the psalms. He wrote some of the psalms. He wrote many of the psalms and perhaps even most of the psalms, but not all the psalms. Uh, the sons of Asaph wrote psalms. Asaph wrote psalms. Uh, <laughs> Moses wrote a psalm, you know. We, we have, we have a, a, a number of authors in the book of psalms. 150 psalms. As I mentioned the last time that I taught, the Psalms are really the, the Hebrew hymnal of the Jewish people. They sang these songs. I was thinking tonight as we we're singing, especially that last song. I love those songs. I love it when, you know, there are songs that we sing in worship that are really like that last song we sang. It was more a prayer than worship. And as I was sitting back there singing that song, I was praying, Lord, let your spirit fall as we're singing it. I said, we're asking for it right now. And, and I, I hope that we, we, we think about what we're doing, guys. Otherwise, it's just a filler. You know, otherwise, you're just going to come in, you know, oh, the worship, that's not important. I'll come in when, when it's convenient, you know. No, you come in, you're in the presence of God, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, it's a holy place immediately. It could be your living room. It could be your kitchen. It could be your car, if you could fit enough people in it. <laughs> and you're there in the presence of the Lord. You're there gathered in his name. 
But David, he wrote this psalm, and obviously you read the psalm, and it's obvious as you read the psalm that David was really going through it. We don't know what he was going through specifically, but we know that he was going through it. We know as you read the psalm, we know that David was depressed. I mean, you just see it. I mean, you don't have to search for it. We don't have to find a Hebrew word that says that David was depressed. We just simply see it in the reading of the text. We know that he was distressed. He was, he was under it. It was a difficult time in his life. And it's also apparent in the scripture, in the text, in Psalm 13, that David was losing perspective. Now, we're pondering the psalm. So for me, I read the psalm and I say, oh Lord, I remember the many, many, many times that I lost perspective. When I was distressed or oppressed or, or, or depressed, you know, I, I lost perspective in the moment during that season. I could remember, and, 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 and I'm thinking of those things. Maybe, maybe something's coming to mind for you right now. You know, when you look at the Psalms, especially the Psalms, but not just the Psalms, but when you look at the Psalms, I think it's comforting because we see things that we could relate to. You know, guys, if it was all fighting giants, we would read it and say, oh, must have been great. But it wasn't all fighting giants or Philistines or any other great victory. There was a lot of life, day-to-day -day living, life that was lived between those, those, you know, these events that we read about many times in the Bible and we're in awe of. Sometimes when we're going through it, we begin to feel like God has forgotten us. Now, some might say, oh, I've never thought that. Well, you're, you should leave right now because you're far more spiritual than this pastor is. I was thinking about that, how I'm thankful, and i got to be careful because I might go into it tomorrow. But I'm thankful that I don't have these, these emotional gymnastics like I used to have as a, as a younger Christian, as a younger pastor, I think of times pastor in this church when I just felt, you know, wringing my hands, just thinking, oh, Lord, you know, the ship's sinking, you know, here it is. This is how it's going to end. I don't know how many times I was there. I'm thankful that I don't feel that way any longer. I, I'm thankful that I've kind of, you know, <laughs> got some leveled out a little bit, spiritually speaking. But there are times when, when you're going through it, when you're going through difficult times, we begin to think, maybe God has forgotten me. Or, if we're honest, we think, God must be really angry at me. And you begin to run through your mind, what have I done? Is there some secret sin in my life? And you, you begin to plead to the Lord, you know, oh Lord, Lord, please show me. Show me what I've done wrong, you know. And you just kind of go through these, again, these emotional gymnastics. But what was David going through? What was he dealing with? We have no idea. Was he on the run from Saul? Was he fighting the Philistines? Was he being threatened, his life, his very life being threatened by his mighty men? Do you remember the account? They went out, all the wives and children were taken. Let me just read one verse to you. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed 
For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Was it on that account that David wrote these things, cried this prayer, this song out to the Lord? Was it when he was fleeing from Absalom, his son? That would be a difficult one, wouldn't it? You look at David's life and you just think, man, that guy really went through it. And a lot of things, you know, he kind of brought upon himself because of poor choices that he made, you know, sinful decisions and everything. But do you think of the fact that he had a son who raped his daughter from different mothers. Then you have Absalom, who is seemingly frustrated that dad, David, is not doing anything. And he takes the life of his stepbrother. And you have you, you think you have drama in your house? I mean, this this is this would have been a huge thing. And then Absalom goes away. I mean, he's in exile for a long period of time. Until finally, you know, he comes home. He comes back. And he comes back, and you can sense it as you read the account. There's bitterness in his heart. He's bitter toward his father. I'm gonna get him one way or another. And the 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 best way he thought he could get David is by his father, by gathering up his own group of mighty men and taking the throne by force. What was David going through? We don't know for sure, but we know that it caused David stress. We know that David became distraught. Guys, listen, we need to be students of the world because we live in a time where there are spiritual landmines all around us. This whole lie of the prosperity doctrine, you can't even call it, it's not a biblical doctrine, you know, doctrine is teaching, but it's a, it's a lie, it's a, it's, a, it's a tool of the enemy. It's, it's something that's appeasing to so many people because it appeals to the greed of people. See, you know, and this is why, you know, if you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, our appetites change. And if you're a greedy person, if you've truly been born again, you're not going to remain a greedy person. If you're a prideful person, or if you were a prideful person before coming to Christ, if you're truly born again, if you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to continue to be a prideful person. There's going to be a change. There's a transformation that takes place. Our appetites change. But you think of this uh, whole prosperity teaching. And, and so many of the lies, you know, we hear that, uh, you know, if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. I, I don't know if he's even around any longer, but um, um, now I'm going to have a hard time with his first name, but Prince, the black pastor from Los Angeles, what's his first name? Uh, anyway, you guys know who I'm talking about. Fred. Not Brad. Fred. Oh, Fred, Fred Prince. Yeah, Fred Prince, the circular church. Uh, circular stage, and he would, you know, I have so much faith, he would rant, he would rave, he would say, I never pray, thy will be done. Isn't that ironic? The disciples said, teach us how to pray, Lord. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father, and he says, thy will be done. But Fred says, I never pray that. I, I have such faith that, that, that sickness does not touch me. And then his wife got cancer and became very, very deathly sick. And, and, and those of us in the biblical, you know, kind of world look down and say, what is he going to do with this, you know? Is he going to backpedal? Is he going to repent for his false teachings, his rhetoric? 
you know? And of course, he never did, sadly. But when you look at the scriptures, you know what we see? We see that there were many of God's people that were distraught. Being a follower of God, being a follower of Christ, you know, for us in the New Testament, but being a believer in God, being a child of God, being someone who, who submits to God and his word does not mean that we will not go through difficulties. In fact, Jesus said that we'll go through tribulation, not the tribulation, but troubles, you know. But let me give you just a sampling. Moses, Moses, he said this. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Now listen to what he says. If you treat me, now the you is not the people. The you was God. He's speaking to God. He says, if you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses, he was distraught. I mean, he's raised up as from a baby, drawn out of the, you know, his name, drawn out of the Nile and and, 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 and he's, he's, been, he's been trained, he's been raised for this very moment in history, you know, leading the children of Israel out of their Egyptian captivity. And what does he say to God? It's too much. Kill me. Kill me. What, what about Joshua? So, you know, Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He, he misled represented the Lord, and so Joshua takes over. And Joshua, well, he didn't have a picnic either, you know. It says, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Joshua said, in essence, why are you doing this to us? Why are you doing this to us? What about Elijah? You guys know where I'm going with Elijah. Excuse me. Right after a great victory. See, the prosperity teachers, they always talk about the victory. I'm out Carmel. They never go to the next chapter. They, they never deal with Elijah the prophet, the great victor, being distraught. Why? Because one woman says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. And we read in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed, listen, listen, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. It's enough. I can't handle this any longer, Lord. Guys, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, I mean, these, these guys are the, the heroes of the scripture. These, these are the men that God used greatly and mightily. And we're not taking anything from them. Rather, we're looking at them and we're saying, they went through it too. They I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't led two million people anywhere, you know. I, I, haven't, I haven't been a prophet of God and seen a great victory over Baal or, or, or you know, the false gods of the, of, of the world. But, but they've gone through that. And, and yet they still struggled with the same emotional feelings. What about Job? Job says, my soul loathes my life. 
Let me put it in a modern-day vernacular. I hate my life. That's what he said. I hate my life. I will give free course to my complaint. It's like, I hate my life. And don't try to stop me, because I've got something to say, and I'm going to say it. That's what he's saying. I'll give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Have you read and pondered Job lately? What a wonderful book. It really is. I, I think sometimes we avoid it because we say, oh, it's just so lengthy and it's hard to keep track. Who's talking now? What's going on? It's such a hard thing. Man, just read it and ponder it and you're going to glean so much from it. So much from it. Until you get to the very end and then there's the, the hook that pulls us all in. You know, guys, you look at these. These are four examples, but of course, this is only scratching the surface. I think of Joseph, not Joseph, Mary's, Mary's husband, but Joseph, the son of Jacob. Think of what he went through. Do you think he felt distraught when he was in prison for trying to rape someone who he never raped, who he did the right thing, he ran, he left his garment in her very hands, and, and yet here he is, falsely charged, and he's, he's, he's there in prison. Do you think he was distraught? Yeah. What about Naomi? Naomi, she loses her two sons and her husbands in a fairly, you know, close period of time. She was distraught. She was distraught. She was probably angry that they ever left Bethlehem, the house of bread, to come to this foreign land, Moab. And now I'm alone, and I'm a widow. And what am I going to do? I'm going home. And she was going to go home in bitterness of heart. How about Hannah? <coughs> Hannah, you know, the book of First uh, Samuel opens up with, with this woman. We know so little about her. She's, she's, she's married to a man uh, that loves her deeply. Again, we don't understand it from our cultural standpoint. You know, we wrestle with these types of things. But he has a secondary wife. His love is for Hannah, but Hannah can't bear any children. And so he takes another wife. The other wife, well, of course, she's able to bear children, and she's just a thorn in the sign of, of Hannah. Could you imagine living, ladies, in an environment like that? How hard. And she's crying out to the Lord. And as she's crying out to the Lord, she's accused of being drunk. I mean, it's like one thing after another, you know, and, and, and you just see all the drama, and you think of the heartache and the depression and the oppression that she went through. And, and Hezekiah and Jeremiah and Zerubbabel, you know, Zerubbabel, the book of Zechariah, you know, uh, God tells him, oh, Zerubbabel, he says to the heap, what was the heap? The ruins, the ruins of the temple in Jerusalem and everything. He says, it's not going to be by, by might. Uh, I know Zerubbabel, I can't. <laughs> My mouth doesn't work. Zerubbabel, I know that this is overwhelming. This is too much for you. But I don't expect you to do this on your own. It's going to be by my spirit. But you can imagine the stress. And Peter, you know, the things that Peter went through. And on and on and on and on and on. And, and here's the thing. When we're going through hardships, we want God to hear our cries and our complaints. And he does. But we want him, we want him not only to hear our cries and our complaints, we want him to deal with our problems. We want him to remove all of the things that trouble us. We want him to move quickly 
It needs to happen now. If you love me, Lord, if you really love me, let's have it. Let's do it. We want them to. We want them to remove the hard things of our life immediately. But here's the thing. He wants to use those very things to develop our faith and our dependence upon him. So the very things that we hate, the very things that cause us many times to lose perspective and to think, where's God? Why is he doing this to me? Why is he allowing these things to come into my life? He's using those very things because he wants to make us more like his son, more like Jesus. So again, look at verse 1. It says, how long, O Lord? Four times we see that, how long, O Lord? Guys, this is, this is more than, than a question. This is an expression of great anguish. How long? How long? You know, the, the old uh, adage, time flies when you're having fun. Um, it's true, isn't it? Um, my grandkids, when uh, we're together, we, I'm so blessed to have my grandkids around quite often. Today, I was, I was at the dentist. I, I met Brittany at the dentist because Brittany had a doctor's appointment in Anacortes, and so... Fallon had a dentist appointment, so I was there to take Fallon home after the dentist appointment. So Fallon and I are in the waiting room at the dentist, and I said, Nanny's going to be here at 12 o'clock. And she said, she is? And I go, yeah, she has an appointment. And I said, so when, when she drives, so we saw her drive up, and I said, okay, let's, let's put our backs to the door. And she's going to wonder, what the heck are you guys doing here, you know? And, um, and then, whoops. And then, and then once Nanny came in, she goes, what are you guys doing here, you know? And, and then she told us that Marielle was there. So the, all the family was at the dentist today, you know. But anyway, whenever I'm with the grandkids, uh, many times they'll say, Papa, I can't wait until. And so for our family, kind of the big deal, um, you know, every summer we have our family vacation. And, and it's just such a blessing, you know, the whole family goes. And uh, we go to uh, Cannon Beach. We love the beach. We started going there years ago because Tracy's parents moved down there. And so we started going there, and we loved it so much. And then we started having church camps there. So we would have people from the church, and we would uh, you know, rent out all these camp spots and, and stay down there at Cannon Beach and play on the beach. And then, and then there was a lot of church drama. And so we thought, yeah. The church isn't invited anymore. <laughs> the family's coming, and, and we just uh, took our We didn't say it that way, but, but there was kind of a, a break, you know, from the church going, and we just kind of continued going, even after Tracy's parents moved out of the area. And um, we love it. What's your point, Dan? My point is, is that many times the kids would say, Papa, I can't wait for our organ trip. And I always say to them, don't, don't do that. What, Papa? I said, are you enjoying summer? Yes. I said, we really enjoy summer in the Northwest. We enjoy summer in the Northwest because winter is long. I mean, it, it feels so much longer than three months. It's long, it's dark, it's wet, it's cold summer. So don't wish your summer away. Don't think your summer away. Just enjoy today. Okay, Papa. Okay. And I think that we need to have kind of 
that mindset. You know, having a good time, oh, it's going to be over quick. You're on vacation, oh, gosh, we only have a day left, you know. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Well, what's the opposite of that? <laughs> time does not fly. Time crawls when you're not having fun. Time crawls when you're going through tough times, difficult times. You say, what time is I can't, you got to be kidding. It's only been an hour. Feels like it's been two weeks, you know. And... And that's just the way it is. And, and when you look at this, David calling out how long. It is, it's been so long. It's been too long. How long? How long, Lord? And, uh, and we can identify with that. Because we say things like that to the Lord. At least I say things like that to the Lord. I feel that way sometimes. How long? Look at this. How long will you forget me forever? Guys, you're pondering the text. I hope you're pondering the text. I know that I've been pondering it longer than you have because I've been preparing for it. But I hope that as we're reading through this that you stop and you think there is an assumption made here. The assumption is you have forgotten me. It's incorrect, but that's the assumption. You, you have forgotten me. It's interesting, the word that's used here for forget in the Hebrew, it means to be oblivious, oblivious of, from want of memory or attention. It's like David is saying, have you forgotten about me? How, don't you remember me, Lord? I'm David. I'm I'm, I'm David. I, I'm the son of Jesse. I'm the one that, that you anointed when I was a young lad, you know, to be the, the king of Israel. Can you identify with this? He goes on, how long will you hide your face from me? Again, it's assumed that God was hiding his face from him. And that word hide in the Hebrew, it literally means to cover your face. So the picture is, is that God is, he's not just looking away, he's got a cover over his face, like, I don't even want to look at you, David. This, this is what David is crying at. This is what David is feeling in the moment. How long? How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? It's an assumption. Verse 2 it says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? So obviously, this was a trial. This was a difficult time in David's life. It didn't last for a day. It didn't last for an afternoon. It was daily. So this had lasted for, for a period of time. The NIV. So uh, I really like the way the NIV reads in this particular case. I don't always like the way the NIV reads, but I do like, in this particular case, it reads this way. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? To me, that seems much more accurate or much more clear for, for me personally than how long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? My thoughts. Your thoughts. That's our Achilles heel. That's, that's many times the stumbling block in our life. 
our thoughts. This is what causes us many times to sink into despair. My thoughts, our thoughts. You begin to think, what have I done, Lord? Why are you so angry with me, Lord? Why do you hate me, God? <laughs> you know. Now again, you might say, oh, I've never felt that way. That's good. I, I don't know what to say. I, here's the deal. We have expectations. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, expectations. Because sometimes, because I do have expectations, I think that we should have expectations. I think we should have expectations for ourselves. I think we should have realistic expectations for one another. I believe that God has expectations for us, you know, because uh, he's done so much for us and he's equipped us in, in such supernatural ways that there's got to be expectations that come with that, that, that gifting, you know. Uh, the Bible says that uh, the New Testament Corinthians tells us that, that every believer has a gift or gifts, plural. We have three lists of the spiritual gifts um, in, in Romans, in Ephesians, and in 1 Corinthians, three lists of the spiritual gifts. Wow, that's wonderful. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might be empowered to be his witnesses. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, we will now produce, not produce, wrong word. We don't produce anything. We will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Do you think God expects us to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, of course he does. Why would, why would he give us his Spirit and the Spirit bears you know, certain fruit in the believer's life? There's expectations for that. And I've been thinking a lot about expectations. We should have expectations. Uh, some of us, I think we set the bar so low that we frankly don't even try. We don't even try. But here's the thing. We have expectations of God. See? We, we, we come to faith in the Lord and, you know, you hear the gospel and you're, you're a sinner and you, oh, you know that your life is a wreck and you hear the gospel and, and this is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh and he came, the sinless one, and he came to the earth, and he lived for 33 years, and, and he taught, and he, and he did miracles, and he was fulfilling uh, the very prophecies that the prophet said that he would do. And he went to the cross, and he rose again the third day, just as the scriptures declared he would do. And he ascended into heaven where he ever makes intercession for us. He's God. He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He's God. We have expectations. See, this is why as people, we have these emotional, you know, where are you, God? How long? Why is this happening? Because, because we, we have expectations. We just, you know, we, we, there are certain images, certain things that we think of when we think of the Lord. We, we see ourselves as, as the lamb on the shoulders of the good shepherd, 
You know, maybe he had to break the leg because we're going astray, but now he's carrying us. We're close by the shepherd. We see pictures like that, and we say, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm on his back. I'm on his back. We see him as, you know, we are, he is the hand. We are the, the chicks under the wing. He's covering us. He's protecting us. We, 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 we have these pictures of things. And, and all of those things are true. But Father has expectations for us. He wants to use us. He wants to mature us. And the longer we walk with the Lord and we submit to him and we abide in his word, there are times in our life when we can look back, not in pride, but, but really with great gratitude and humility, we can look back and we can say, there has, there has really been some growth in my life. Even as a Christian, I'm not, I'm not wrestling with the things. I'm not, I'm not as emotional as I used to be. I, I don't become distraught about things as I, as I used to be. I have a, a greater uh, a dependence or faith or just confidence, just knowing than I had, you know, three years ago, two years ago, whatever it might be. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Don't we see that, guys? And that's what we should see. We should see that there's some growth taking place, you know. I was thinking of that a lot this past week, expectations. Well, David. <laughs> I, I always come back to this. You guys, you guys, if there's gonna, people who come to Calvary Chapel, Oak Harbor, if you only know one verse, it's probably going to be this verse because I always come back to it. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I always remind you, it's not magical, it's practical. As we read and study the scriptures, we see that others who have placed their faith in the Lord have gone through tough times, like we go through tough times. So we just looked at four examples. I mentioned a handful of other examples. They, they felt that God had abandoned them. They felt that they would rather die than live another day dealing with the things that they were dealing with. As we look at the scriptures, we could see that and we could say, I'm not alone. This is not a strange thing. See, well, what do we do? Guys, listen, we go through trials. We're young Christians. We don't know the word of God. We go through trials and we say, something strange is happening. And someone who knows the word says, come here. And they turn over to James or they turn over to Peter and we read, think it not strange when you fall into various trials. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's part of it. Yes, that's part of it. See, um, we're able to look at the scripture. Our faith is built. We look and I, I think, man, David, I love David. I absolutely love David because you know what? David messed up. He messed up a lot. But David was not like Saul. David was a man who lived his life for the glory of God. Saul lived his life for his own glory. David was a man who was humble. When God spanked him, he took his lumps. He didn't groan and moan and cry and gripe. and He took his lumps. He learned from his own mistakes. He praised the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. And I look at David and I think, man, I love David. 
I love, love the fact that David just didn't throw his hands up and get upset and, and go away mad, but, but he just continued to abide in the Lord. And when we look at the scriptures, we see these things. When we read the scriptures, when we study the scriptures, our faith is built because we see not only the difficulties, not only that others that had placed their faith in the Lord had, have gone through difficulties, but we see the victories. Hannah has a boy. He has, she has a, a baby. They call him Samuel. He is, before John the Baptist came upon the scene, he is the greatest prophet of all the prophets, Samuel. You say, why do you say that? He anointed two kings. God used him in a, in a powerful way. I think that Samuel was, was one of the top prophets. And here, Hannah was the mom. What a victory. Naomi, she goes home. All of her neighbors, oh, it's so good to see you, Naomi. How's life been in Moab? Oh, don't even ask. Perhaps as she begins to weep. Where's your husband? Where's your boys? They're gone. I've lost everything. Who's that beautiful girl next to you? Oh, excuse me. This is my daughter-in-law. Her name's Ruth. Welcome, Ruth. And Ruth marries the Jesus type of the Old Testament, Boaz. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful victory. Victory, victory, victory. You say, wait a minute. You're talking about Ruth. Victory for Naomi. Naomi, here's your son. Oh, my boy. It's Ruth's son. But Naomi, who loved her mother-in-law with a love that surpasses the, the love that we see in, in many marriages, you know. It's beautiful. The victories, the victories, the victories. Well, I got to wrap this up. David, I love the fact that that he, he takes us with him into the valleys. As we're pondering the scripture, pondering the Psalms that he wrote, many times we begin to cry with David, not for David, but we begin to cry with David. We begin to identify with the struggles that David has gone through, though my struggles are so different than his, there's similarities. You have conflict in your family. You have conflict with your children. You have a child that's rebelling. You say, oh, David, I, uh, my son hasn't rose up. He hasn't tried to take my home from me. He, uh, she hasn't tried to kill me, you know. But, but, oh, I know how that must have hurt to have your own son do that. You identify with him. David, David. Oh, I know how hard it must have been, David, when, when you finally were able to bring the ark back into the city of David, into, you know, you, you, you brought the ark home. And there you are dancing in an ephod. You know, many people think, oh, David was dancing naked before the Lord. No, he's wearing an ephod. What do priests wear? Ephods. It's simple. It's humility. It's not 
you know, being immodest. It's humility. Take off the pre Who's that guy dancing? That's the king. That's the king? How could you tell? David, as you cry with David, I know what it's like to be married to a non-believer, David. As his wife, Michael, mocks him. You enjoy yourself today, dear? Dancing before the young maidens, trying to entice them. <coughs> he didn't say it. At least it's not recorded, but I wonder if he thought it. Michael, you're like your dad. You don't value the things that you should value. You don't appreciate the importance of worship. Michael, you're barren. You're not just barren because you cannot bear children. You're barren spiritually because there is no, there's not going to be any fruit coming from your life because praise, worship is fruit. It is, it is the ultimate fruit that flows from the life of the person who's grateful. Well, hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Read the word of God. Your faith is going to be built. Look at the struggles that those who have trusted the Lord before you have gone through. Look at the victories that they've gone through. Consider the struggles that you've gone through. Consider the fact that you thought you were going down uh, for the count, and yet you're still here, and you're better, and you're stronger, and your faith is, is, is you're more dependent you know, upon the Lord than you ever were. Thank the Lord for the struggles, for the hardships, for the difficulties. Thank the Lord that he's not a foolish parent that immediately takes away the troubles because he doesn't want Johnny to have a bad day. Thank the Lord for that. In verse 3, he says, consider. And the word means to regard with pleasure, favor, favor, or care. David says, consider. Please regard me with pleasure. Show me favor once again and, and care. In the first two verses, David cried out emotionally, how long? But then when he gets to verse 3, with deliberate, thoughtful prayer, he asked, his prayer request was, enlighten my eyes. Beautiful prayer. He says, help me, Lord, to see, in essence, help me, Lord, to see what I cannot see. Help me, Lord, to understand what I do not understand. Do you know that Paul prayed this very thing for the believers in Ephesus? Let me read it to you. Ephesus chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Listen, Wisdom, wisdom, and revelation, unveiling in the knowledge of him. Here it is, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It literally means, it literally reads that the eyes of your heart be open. That's what David was praying, that the eyes of your heart be open. You say, my, eye, my heart has eyes? He's talking about, it's not just seeing, but it's, it's really believing. He says that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the city. Oh, there's so much there. I wish I had time to unpack it, but there's so much there. 
This is a great prayer to pray for yourself. This is a great prayer to pray for those who need a spiritual breakthrough. I've prayed this prayer. I continue to pray this prayer for loved ones. I've prayed this prayer for my children. It's such a powerful prayer. Lord, open the eyes of their heart. Lord, open the eyes of their understanding. Lord, help them to have an encounter with you, a genuine encounter with you, Lord. It's a great prayer to pray. And then you get to verse 4, trying to race through this. Then he gets to the last, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. The word moved means to waver by implication, to slip, to shake, or to fall. David, it's like, Lord, I'm, I'm about ready to fall here. I'm, I'm about ready to slip. I don't think I could stand another day. I don't think I could, I could handle this. And, and if I do that, they're going to rejoice over me, those who trouble me. And then David, as he writes the psalm, the short little psalm, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Guys, I don't understand how the inspiration works. It wasn't automatic writing, you know, like the spiritists do. But as he was writing, the, Lord's were, the Lord was, by his spirit, putting these things upon David's heart. He's writing with something that's connected to him, but, but he's writing these words. And, and, and he gets to verse 5. And, and he says, look what it says, but I have trusted in your mercy. Two words I want you to catch. Have. I have. I have. I've trusted in your mercy. What does that mean? Well, grace is getting what you don't deserve, but mercy, well, let's see. Yeah, grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So, Lord, I've, I, have, I have trusted in the fact that you have not given me what I deserve. Don't ever pray a foolish prayer like, God, give me what I deserve. Don't pray. You don't want to pray a prayer like that because he just might. He probably won't. He's a gracious God. But, but uh, that would be a... The word trusted, it means to be confident in or sure of. David said, I have. David said, I will. We need to do the same. Guys, it's beautiful because David doesn't leave us with hopelessness. David looks up. David remembers. The Lord has been faithful in the past. I've been in jams before. I've been in difficult situations before. God has seen me through. He doesn't leave us in despair. He doesn't leave us in hopelessness. He lifts his head. He moves forward. And, 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 and as he's moving forward, his, he moves forward in faith and hope. And he's giving us an example to do the same. You know, I had mentioned that when we go back to the scriptures, we see that there were many that have trusted in God who go through difficulties that will build our faith. I said that when we go back to the Word of God, we'll see that many of those same people that have gone through difficult times have experienced great victories. They have. But we will also see the character of God. Don't come up with some vain imagination of what God is or who God is. Too many people do that. It is embarrassing, especially when a child of God, a Christian, says, well, I think God would. And it's so contrary to what God's Word says he is he gives us the revelation of his character that's his word 
And in his word, we see that God doesn't forget his people. God does hear their cry. God sees what's going on. God knows what's going on. God delivers his people when he chooses to do it. He's never late. So the psalm, it goes from tears, verses 1 and 2, to truth, verses 3 and 4, to trust, verses 5 and 6. It goes from gloom to gladness. It goes from hopelessness to hope. It goes from how long to I have, I will, thy will, verse 6, I will sing to the Lord. I was thinking about this tonight. We can sing when we're happy. We can sing when we're somber. We can sing when we're mad. Punk rock music, you know. We can. <laughs> but you know what? It's hard to sing when we're distraught. Think about it. It's kind of this, this willful, I, I will. It's not, it's not you know, I'm, just, I'm playing mind games or anything. No, I'm remembering. Yes, I, I've lost perspective. I'm gaining perspective based upon the truth of your word, based upon my own experience with you, Lord. You've been so faithful. So you're pondering the scriptures, you're, pondering, you're thinking through these things. And then there's the determination. I will sing to the Lord. So I want to ask just a few questions in closing. And they're really questions that there are no answer to. Maybe there is an answer, but, but here it is. Did the circumstances in David's life suddenly change in the time it took him to write this short psalm? Did his enemy stop pursuing him? Has Saul stopped hunting him like an animal? Did Absalom come home and repent? Forgive me, Dad. Did all of his troubles go away? I think you know the answer because you know the scripture. No, 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 and no. David simply fell back on what he knew to be true. He says he has, I want you to listen to this last part. This is so good. He says, verse 5, but I, but I have trusted in your mercy. And then you, you, verse 6, he says, he has dealt, he has, he has dealt bountifully with me. Now listen to this word bountifully, the Hebrew word. It means to benefit. We say, yeah, that's what the English word means. Listen, it means to ripen. Hmm. Ripen. Well, fruit takes time to ripen, doesn't it? Okay, listen to the next word. It means to wean. I like that. I mean, boy, I just had a picture there. You know, what, what's the hardest thing for moms, you know, weaning your child? Why? Because your child really likes that source of food. And they would just continue doing it, you know, if they were allowed to, you know. And they need to be weaned. And it's a process. And it's a difficult thing. And when you think about the process of weaning, in one sense, it's the, it's the, baby's, it's the baby's first step 
to being independent. You, you know what I mean by that? I mean, they're, they're not going away to college at that point, but, but, they're, but they're now no longer solely dependent upon mom, you know. I remember the days. We've had five of them, you know. Okay, babe, so you're going to the store. Yeah, I'll be back real quick. Tracy's never back quick. <laughs> I'll be back real quick. Okay, babe, because, you know, he, she, they, you know, they need you. <laughs> they really need you. I have nothing to offer them. You know? <laughs> I'll be back. Don't worry. I'll be back. And, and then, you know, it starts, and you just go, oh, no. There's no calming this child, you know. And I don't know how many times it was. I could hear the keys, you know, in the, in the door, and, and she would open the door, and the first words out of my mouth would say, how long? How long? No, no. <laughs> he has, past tense. David determined that if he has in the past, he will now in the future, and we need to do the same. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, because it's not a large group, but, but even in a small group like this, there might be folks that are really going through it. It might be a health issue. It might be a financial issue. It might be just emotional. Emotions are so hard, Lord, because we, we want to we be able to point to the problem. And sometimes we just get blue. We just get under it emotionally. Whatever it is, Lord, we pray that we'd be a people who determine he has, he will. He has been faithful. He will be faithful. He is my father. He cares for me. He loves me. I don't, I don't understand this. In fact, I don't need to understand this. All I need to do is trust him. Trust that he's working, using these difficulties, these hardships, these struggles that I'm dealing with. He's using them as the tools to make me more dependent upon him, Lord. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen our faith, help us. Maybe we're doing just fine today, but maybe tomorrow there'll be a trial. So we pray that we would quickly go to the scriptures, ponder the word of God, believe them to be true. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.